opportunity to head to uh, the Lord and His Word, and uh, let us pray uh, before we do so. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the gospel that you've given us. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that shapes our lives. That completely changes our standing before you and is for that that we are grateful. So our prayer, Lord, as we begin this new series about the gospel is that we would come to know more fully what the gospel is and what it is not. Alive in our minds with your truth of the gospel that we may proclaim it more fully throughout our day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we get the opportunity to begin a new series. We just finished up the book of Nehemiah last week, and now we are heading to a series that we entitled Jesus Plus. That's not a cross, that's a plus sign. You can think of it like an equation. Jesus plus this equals that, right? We're going to be looking at a, a few different things to, to help clarify what it is that Jesus came to do and what are the requirements of that and, and what are the things that it does not require us to do, perhaps. So one of them that we're going to cover is Jesus plus me. Do I have anything to contribute to salvation? Or another one is going to be Jesus plus no suffering. What happens to the gospel if we remove suffering from the equation? Whether that's the suffering of Christ on the cross or whether that's the suffering that we experience on a perhaps even daily basis. What happens when we take Jesus and we go Jesus plus power? What happens when we feel like power and authority somehow has to do or something to do with the gospel? A spoiler alert, the last one is going to be called Jesus plus nothing. And that might give you an idea of where that one goes, that the, the true gospel, true salvation lies solely in who Christ is and what He has done, plus nothing else. But today we get to begin with, I think it'll be a good one, Jesus plus tradition. Jesus plus tradition. Have you, have you ever encountered the phrase, have you ever heard it, maybe in, in a business meeting or a, a time where you were gathering with people and they said, well, that's the way we always have done it. I see some, some people nodding their heads. I know someone in our church that whenever he hears that phrase, that's the way we've always done it, has one word question. Why? Why? Whenever that phrase comes up, well, why do you do it that way? Why do you always do it that way? Are you open to other options, or is 
this the only way that you can think about it? Sometimes when we say that's the way we've always done it, it just happens to be that that's the way we're most comfortable with. It's the most familiar thing to us. Sometimes that word tradition can get a a bad rap, right? Um, Tradition. Sometimes the word tradition maybe has a stuffy feeling to it. Sometimes the word tradition maybe has a nostalgic emotion that comes with it. As you recall something that has been a consistent tradition in a family. When we think about the church, the reality is, is Someone's tradition might not be another person's. Someone's tradition might be odd. And if you think about it, if you go back far enough, we would say traditional music would be hymns. But if you head back to the time they were written, Well, their concept of tradition would not be the things that are written right at their time, would it? Maybe their concept of tradition, traditional music or tradition would be the chanting that was done or even going back further, the the cantor that was used to sing because they didn't trust everyone with singing, so you had this one person that did all the singing for everyone in the church. Tradition is not the same for all people. But the reality of is that tradition, really the, the lighthearted tradition of thinking about music, was not all that was at stake when you think about tradition and the way the church had always done things. And I have a phrase that I would love for us to remember. You can write it down. And before I say the phrase, I would like to say, for those of you with smartphones, please don't get your smartphone out and email me disagreeing with the phrase today, right now, in this moment. Wait till Friday, okay? Uh, Wait till Friday. Here's the phrase. Tradition is not always the way to transformation. Tradition is not always the way to transformation. And I hope that through the passage that we're going to read, that we will be able to see that tradition is not always the way to transformation. So let us, we're going to head to Acts 15, and we're going to start at verse 1. Hey, uh, kids that just got your Bibles, you can go find it on page 1,358. Um, And if you uh, in the seats have your own Bible, I don't know where it's located, but it is located on page 896 in the black Bibles that's in the seat. And today I'm actually going to be reading from the New International Reader's Version so that you guys uh, who heard that that's what the students received uh, can get an idea of what it sounds like in that version. Let me see here. There we go. Maybe. 
Faint, that man needs some help. Here we go. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Here's what they were teaching the believers. Moses commanded you to be circumcised, they said. If you aren't, you can't be saved. But Paul and Barnabas didn't agree with this. They argued strongly with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go up to Jerusalem. Some other believers were chosen to go with them. Uh, They were supposed to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. As they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told uh, how those who weren't Jews had turned to God. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they arrived in Jerusalem, the church welcomed them. The apostles and the elders welcomed them too. Then Paul and Barnabas reported everything that, had, had done, that God had done through them. Some of the believers were Pharisees. They stood up and said, those who aren't Jews must be circumcised. They must obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After they had talked it over, Peter got up and spoke to them. Brothers, he said, You know that some time ago, God chose me to take the good news to those who aren't Jews. He wanted them to hear the good news and believe. God knows the human heart by giving the Spirit to non-Jews. He showed that He accepted them. He did the same for them as He had done for us. He showed that there's no difference between us and them. He made their hearts pure because of their faith. Now then, why are you trying to test God? You test Him when you put a heavy load on the believer's shoulders. Our people of long ago couldn't carry that load, and we can't either. No. We believe we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Those who aren't Jews are saved in the same way. Everyone became quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. They were telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among non-Jews. We head back to, I think this is back to the NIV, and it says certain people came down. I love the way it starts because it's it's not very descriptive. It's certain people. Certain people that were teaching a a certain way. And, And they were teaching the way that said you cannot be saved unless you follow the tradition of Moses. These certain people, they've spent their entire life being devoted to the way. Being devoted to the tradition of Moses, which was passed down from generation to generation. These certain people, they're 
entire identity as a people, as Israelites, were bound together with this traditional way of living. This way of, of the law, the way God had showed them. And, and so, so they said this can be the only way. You can't be saved unless you follow the way. Their life was so deeply shaped by it that they couldn't imagine. They couldn't even conceive that there would be a different way. And it reminds me of a show. Anyone? The Mandalorian. This is my Star Wars nerd coming out, everybody. But the Mandalorian, a phrase that he and all the other Mandalore people say is, I heard it, this is the way. He followed a certain way, and the way of the Mandalore that he knew is that he was never to remove his helmet or never have his helmet removed by anybody else. His face was never to be shown to anyone. He could remove his helmet, but he could only do that privately. Right? You can imagine how difficult it would be to eat. You know, to, to do anything. You couldn't have communal gatherings because you'd have to take your helmet off. But then the, a problem came and he met these people. The problem is that they're also Mandalore, but they have their helmet off. What Mando finds out about these Mandalore and what they share to him is that there was another way. That this is the way was not the only way. What he came to find out is that he was raised in this zealous small faction of people that, that, that only took their helmet off when they were alone, where there were so many other Mandalore that would take their helmet off when they weren't in battle. This is the way is not the only way. Hmm. A certain group of people showed him something new. And I think that's what Peter is trying to do for the people that we call the Judaizers, those certain people that said you cannot be saved apart from the tradition of Moses. Now Peter comes and says, no, I think we can be saved apart from the tradition of Moses. What happened, though, is these Judaizers, their teaching became rather popular because it was the only way. It was the way that they had been trained for centuries to follow God. It was to be circumcised on the eighth day and to, to follow all of the law. In the Scripture passage we read, once Peter and Barnabas got to Jerusalem, they encountered the Pharisees. And oftentimes the Pharisees, we, we look at them like, oh, the Pharisees. But the reality was is they were devout 
and faithful followers of God. They wanted to make sure that God was honored and God was respected and God was followed in the way that, that, that he had prescribed for them. They're, they're good people at heart. It's just the only way they know. And so they too, they too agree with the Judaizers from where Peter and Barnabas came from and said, no, they must be circumcised. They must follow the law. They must follow the tradition of Moses. And then there's a long discussion that happens. We don't know everything that happens in that discussion because it's just those short few words. They discuss this matter greatly or something along that lines. This is often called the, the Council of Jerusalem where the, the fate of the church is going to be decided for the people. It's the elders and the apostles that are going to deliberate on these matters of, of what they know about God and who God is and, and how it is that the people are supposed to follow God. After some significant discussion, Peter, he gets up. He gets up because he has the experience with the, the lesser known way. Peter spent his life with Jesus, learning Jesus' way, learning how Jesus interacted with people, how he encountered people. And perhaps through Peter's interaction with Jesus, Peter came to know that tradition is not always the way to transformation. Peter saw how Jesus ignored the law at certain times and how he healed on the Sabbath day when he wasn't supposed to. Peter witnessed too when Jesus, when they actually came up and Jesus was talking to this woman at the well that had been married five times and the, the person she was with was not even her husband. Jesus was crossing barriers and it amazed them because, well, you're not supposed to be talking to women and you're surely not supposed to be talking to a Samaritan woman. Jesus' way, the, the less known way. Jesus, the one who always seemed to be upsetting the system, maybe asking the question of, why can't we heal on the Sabbath day? Why can't I talk to this woman? Why aren't we supposed to talk to Samaritan? Why? And so, Peter, with all of this experience of witnessing who Jesus was and how Jesus lived, it made him prepared to see things through the eyes of Jesus. And through the eyes of Jesus, Peter knew that it's only God who knows the heart. And it was through the eyes of Jesus that Peter, when he shared the gospel with the non-Jews as God had called them to, 
saw that the Spirit Himself was given to non-Jews in the same way that it was given to the Jewish Israelite followers. Peter elaborates on this experience and you know, Peter and the apostles and the elders, they didn't have the New Testament to reference, right? Uh, the New Testament was being written before their very eyes, you could say. And, and so Peter's experience is actually a little bit earlier in Acts. It's in Acts chapter 10. And he says, while he was still speaking, and, and so what are these things? What was he still speaking? Well, he was speaking about the words of how Jesus himself was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And he was sharing the words how everyone who believes in Jesus would, would be saved and that, that it was them who would receive forgiveness in his name. And so while he was even speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. As he's preaching to these non-Jews, these people that weren't circumcised on the eighth day. They had complete, probably, disregard for the tradition of Moses and the traditional way of doing things. Now have received the same spirit that was in the Israelites themselves. That's because tradition is not the only way to transformation. The spirit bringing transformation upon the people. Notice this, just the very next verse. Perhaps these are the certain people. Perhaps not. But it looks like the circumcised believers, the one who had devoted their entire life to the only way they knew about following God were astonished. Completely dumbfounded that God's Spirit would enter people that had no regard for Him before hearing that message. That God's Spirit would come upon people that had been living pagan lives, devoted to other gods, living in whatever the way they wanted to, working as much as they wanted to on the Sabbath, living in ways contrary to what God had prescribed, but now after hearing the message Peter gave about life that is found in Jesus, how forgiveness is found in His name, they are astonished because the Spirit has come upon them. The way of Moses, the tradition of Moses, they might start understanding that it's not the only way. In an amazement, they too might be realizing that tradition is not always the way to transformation. That this long-followed tradition of Moses might not be needed. It might not be needed for someone to experience the life 
life-changing, transformative power of Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says to the council, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? The picture of the law being this this yoke, this burden too heavy to bear that the NIRV called it. This burden that not only the ancestors couldn't bear, but the current people, the current Israelites couldn't bear it on their own either. So why would we make it immensely difficult for someone to follow Christ? is the question. Perhaps what Peter says, maybe more bluntly, is that the old way is not as good as the new way. That the old way of following the law, the tradition of Moses, is not as good as the new covenant that is in Christ's blood. Jesus was not coming to make it harder to believe in God. Instead, Jesus was coming that that the difficulty would be taken upon Himself. That the difficulty of, of becoming a follower of Christ would not be set in some sort of rules and tradition of Moses, but only by belief in Christ Himself. That we would know that tradition is not always the way of transformation. And this this decision here in Acts chapter 15, it had physical implications for all of the Gentile people. It was they either needed to follow the way everything the way it had been taught before and to be circumcised as an old person just like Abram. Or they would completely disregard the tradition and find that the way is just Jesus. Belief in Him. Trust in Him. Hope in His name by what He did. I wonder sometimes, here we think of barriers that kept the Gentile people, the non-Jews, kind of away from God. Saying that the Spirit was not enough, that they needed to follow this other set of rules. Wonder what are what are the barriers today? What are what are the barriers that have somehow been built up that that keep those who could have a life in Christ experience the fullness of the Spirit in their life? What is it that that is a barrier that keeps keeps them from coming. What is what is the barrier? Is it does it have to do with some of our 
meaning global church tradition? Does it have to do with some of the bad history within the church itself? I think sometimes the door just is the barrier. The door, the the barrier to even entering into a building. I think more and more we're living in this post-Christian society. And I think it's actually been accelerated over the last two years. They say roughly about 30% of people who called themselves Christians before, like in 2019, no longer follow Christ. 30% of people. We had this global pandemic thing that, that kept people from the doors of church, you could say, and it perhaps accelerated what was already happening in society. People realizing that I don't find a benefit from going to this church, or I, I got out of practice and I, I don't need to do this, and so the door perhaps became a barrier. The door being a barrier of perhaps the way they've experienced interactions with Christians in the past. There's a, a couple books that I, I read. One is called Unchristian, and the other is called They Like Jesus But Not the Church. And it, it goes through. Uh, individuals who say they like the philosophy and the idea of Jesus, but not, not what they see in the church. Because they said when they experience people in the church, oftentimes the people in the church, they're, they're described as, well, condemning. They're described as hypocritical. They're described in, in ways that I don't think you or I would want to be described. People have a love for Christ, maybe, but a a hate, a, a dislike of the way organized religion, so to speak, what it has done with the message of Christ. Are these experiences of people, when they interact with those who are hypocritical, those who are condemning, does that become a barrier and a burden too big to bear for them in their desire to follow Christ? You know, is, I wonder this in the last two years. Of the 30% of people that decided they didn't want to follow Christ anymore or would not call them Christian, did they encounter an institution of the church that was more interested in ascribing to specific political views than the way of Jesus? Did they encounter people who had mindsets of hypocrisy, the do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do method? 
encountering barriers that make it harder for one to become a child of God. Because the reality is, Paul wrote that there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Christ. And for a Christian to be described as someone who is condemning of others just doesn't make sense. I wonder if a barrier is that if you step through these doors, you need to have your life in order. And if you step in these doors, all your kids need to be sitting perfectly and silently within church. That, that when you come, you need to make sure that you don't have any problems. If that's the case, I don't think my kids could come to church and I probably couldn't be here either. The barrier of people thinking that Christians have it all together when the reality is we don't. We need to rely each and every day on the grace that God provides. We need to rely each and every day on the Spirit that is living within us, making us aware of our own shortcomings. Maybe one way to get rid of that barrier is to admit to ourselves that we're not perfect. Anybody else not perfect? I'm not. Maybe people having interaction with, with real humans that say, yeah, I struggled with that too, or I have that same problem. I always seem to get frustrated, and you know what, Raj? I did get frustrated when I was watching the Badgers play football yesterday and they just couldn't do anything right and I'm sitting there getting frustrated and Emily is saying why are you even watching this game it's like I like why would I get angry at a game I'm not perfect remember maybe maybe the way to reduce those barriers is to walk as Jesus did a a life of humility. A life where we recognize that each person that we encounter is perhaps more important than ourselves. That we could recognize and live in a way that pushes back against what culture says, that I'm the most important person in the room, where the reality is that I'm the least important person in the room. What are these traditional values that we've taken upon ourselves knowingly or unknowingly that we, like the law of Moses, need to disregard and push away and actively say we will, will not live that way anymore? How is it that we can live in a way that makes the love of Christ attractive to people who are hurting? Well, maybe it's to say that we're hurting ourselves. That we too 
just as much as anybody else, need the grace of Christ in our life. That we need the love of the Father that is completely lavished upon us no matter how many times we screw up or fail. That His love isn't like perhaps the love of some earthly fathers that aren't a good, uh, a good description of God's fatherly love. That, that His love is not dependent on what we do and how we live and making sure we get it perfectly right, but His love sees us as a child that is worthy and loved and cared for and desired. Where can we push off those aspects of tradition? That we can truly recognize that tradition is not always the way to transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Likely each and every one of us here uh, who are non-Jews, that Peter shared that tradition was not the way to transformation at the Jerusalem Council. That the, the church at its very beginnings and foundation did, did not place this heavy burden on our life that we would need to follow, but instead placed us in, within your hands in the grace of Christ that only comes through faith. Faith in him and the spirit received within. It's in Christ's name that we pray with gratitude in our hearts.